Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello and welcome along to this week's We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Good to have your company. Very shortly, we'll have a roundup of all the big movie stories from the week and what's worth streaming. Plus, filmmaker Paddy Slattery will be joining me to take a look at the career to date of Danny Boyle. That's all to come very shortly on We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Now on We Love Movies, it is time to take a look at all the big movie stories from the week. In one corner, we have our tried and tested Andy McCarroll. And in the other, we have a new recruit to We Love Movies, content editor at Evoke and their movie buff, Olivia Fahey. Hello, guys. How are you? Not too bad. Can I just say I'm dead against Olivia being added to this? I was promised Chris or higher, so... (laughs) And that's what you got. That's what you got, my dear. It's okay. We're going to just have a lot more banter like we used to on our Dublin Comic Con days. Yeah, I should point out that Andy and Olivia know each other very well. And uh, this could be very much like the Apollo Creed and Rocky type of relationship that we're going to experience here on We Love Movies. We've lots to get through in this week's movie news. Andy, I'm just going to kick off with yourself because there is a sequel that will be soon released that no one has been asking for. I'm surprised that they've even managed to uh, crack out a script for this. But The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, I think this is probably the the clunkiest and clumsy title we've gotten this year. But Ryan Reynolds, Samuel L. Jackson are back. Why? Like, who's asking for this? Exactly. And again, you're saying that Samuel L. Jackson and Ryan Reynolds are back because, like, Richard E. Grant returns. I was like, Richard E. Grant was in the first film? And, like, Gary Oldman won't be coming back. Who's Gary Oldman? What is this film? It's just, like, considering it was only 2017... You know, and it was apparently a big box office hit enough to warrant a sequel. I remember nothing about this. I'm scrolling through the cast list and the synopsis going, I don't remember any aspect of this film. I watched the trailer and it's just Ryan Reynolds doing Ryan Reynolds stuff. It looks like this is going to be every bit as forgettable as the first one. It's got Antonio Banderas and Morgan Freeman joining the cast now. But again, this just looks like, you know, one of those early 90s action films that had the big star and it's just, you know, middle shelf of extra vision job. who is it for is a great question because I, I don't see anyone who I've spoken to in the last three years. Went, oh, have you seen The Hitman's Bodyguard? Great film. Really love to see a sequel to that one. Yeah, it's bizarre. Olivia, what about yourself? Did the first one pass you by or did you actually watch it? No, I, I watched it and I really, really enjoyed it. It was one of those sort of surprise hits because it came out, um, I think it was August, no, August, September, autumn time last year, or not last year, 2017. And it was a really quiet time for films and it ended up actually taking in a like a load of money I actually played a, a fantasy movie league pre-covid and it was the bonus film that week because it brought in so much more money than anyone expected it to do um, did it warrant a sequel probably not but I'm still excited to see what they've come up with because it was still a very enjoyable film and do you know what it's Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson and Selma Hayek like can, can you go wrong Oh, you can't go wrong, but it just seems like, why? I don't know why there's this necessity for this film. But look, it it does seem to me like something that would live better on a streaming platform like Netflix. And I presume like this is one of those movies that when it does get released, is it set for release soon? Do we know when it's coming out? Great question. 
absolutely yeah, no idea. Yeah, I have no idea either. It says uh, soon on the trailer. June. Uh, June, tw- uh, June 16th. Right, is when they're hoping that it'll come out. Oh, well, it has, doesn't mention anything about if it's a streaming service, if it's going to cinemas. I don't think this is going to be the one that's going to save cinema like Tenant was last year. And like Olivia said, this just seems like it would do well on a streaming service because you're going to scroll through and go, oh, Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson, I'll watch that. I know who they are. I'll watch it. I'll forget about it. And then the hitman's bodyguards, wife's bodyguards, sister or something will come out in a few years and we'll get to have this whole conversation again. <laughs> do you know what it's rem- It reminds me of, do you remember there was that, the whole nine yards with that sleepwalking Bruce Willis and then they brought the whole 10 yards. There's an awful these habit of just cranking out these sequels um, soon after the uh, the first film, hoping that there was still an audience for it. This, the hitman's wife's bodyguard kind of reeks of the same. Olivia, I'm going to move on to another film which is going to be set for release soon-ish it's going to get released in the UK first though Wild Mountain Time I thought this had already come out because I know the trailer as we all know got such attention because of its uh, hokiness but um, they put a geolock on the the UK release because they're hoping to release this in Irish cinemas they are yeah so the um, the announcement came out uh, this week that it is getting a cinematic release in Ireland, but we have to wait until the summer, whereas the UK will be actually able to stream it through the on-demand services um, and streaming platforms basically from the end of the month. So in my opinion, they're basically trying to make sure that Ireland can't give out any more about it than they already have <laughs> before they actually get to take in a little bit more moolah from the rest of the world. Um, but it has it has been released in the states i believe because i've had family members who have seen it who thought that it was great and then i had to correct them on that but yeah it's i can i can see from a business point of view where they're coming from with it but i'm also just like do you know what you'll get so much more publicity by letting the irish at it because at the end of the day there's no such thing as bad publicity even for a film like this because part of its charm is that it is lacking in charm andy Wild Mountain Time, we've said before on this show, this feels like a sequel to Leap Year or a prequel of sorts. This is as it is begora as you can get and it is as tone deaf as you can get. And it almost feels as if the filmmakers still think Irish people go around on a donkey and cart. There, There's no redeeming features, it seems, or is there? It's one of the funniest films I've ever seen. Like it starts the very first line of the film is Christopher Walken saying, hi, my name's Patty Irishman. Mm. I'm dead. And it just spirals from there. Like you said, it just completely backwards. Jamie Dornan, who is Irish, is playing this absolute buffoon who like he sees a car pull up and he's knocking on the hood trying to feed it a carrot. And you're like, you've seen cars. You work on a farm. Like later on, you see you doing farm equipment. It just looks like an SNL sketch, but far funnier than anything SNL have churned out in the last few years. It's absolutely horrendous, but I can't recommend it enough. Do you know what? It's probably one of those movies to really watch late at night with a six pack and a pizza. We'll uh, move on to news about Indiana Jones 5, Olivia, because it's finally going to happen. Now, we know James Mangold is the director. Harrison Ford, they're wheeling him back onto set. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be doing as many high octane type of stunts. I can't imagine he will. But he will have a new recruit. And thankfully, it's not Shia LaBeouf. Who is it? It's Phoebe Waller-Bridge of Fleabag fame. And I am so excited to see her and Harrison Ford share the screen because it's literally like 
she is one of the biggest stars of the moment and especially after some of the work that she's done with Bond which we've heard rumours of and things like that um, it's going to be interesting to see is she going to be able to put the same stamp on Indiana Jones that she has done rumoured for Bond and also of course for the, the series Fleabag. Now do we know if she's involved in the script in any capacity or is she very much just taking on sort of the second main role alongside Harrison Ford? At the moment, it seems that she is just starring in it. But as we've seen before, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be open to some suggestions or a few little edits here and there. So I wouldn't be surprised if we if we don't like I would be more surprised if we don't see her put her own stamp on it a little bit um, than if she does, because it just seems to be that whenever she's involved in something, they always want to get her input on the project as a whole, not just to have her performing in it. So I would predict that there is probably going to be a few little more feminist elements to it than we've seen in Indiana Jones before. And do you know something, if it's something like she ends up taking over the mantle, because as you were saying, like poor Harrison Ford's going to be wheeled onto the set. So if in that sense, if it's a case of passing the baton, you know, no better woman to take it up than Phoebe. Let's just talk about Phoebe before we kind of get into the fact that the, a 15 Indiana Jones film is finally going to be before the cameras in the summer because they've spent years and years trying to crack a sequel to Indiana Jones. And we saw with the fourth film, that went through many iterations. At one stage, Frank Marshall's script looked like it was going to get made. And then George Lucas, um, he vetoed it all together. And I know uh, Frank Marshall was, uh, sorry, not Frank Marshall. Um, oh God, what's the director's name? Shawshank Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont. Thank you, Andy. Uh, yeah, he was bitterly disappointed because I could because Spielberg loved his script. But anyway, I digress. But um, we'll come to the all things James Mangold and what he's done with the fifth film in just a sec. But with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Andy, what is it about her that makes her such a star of the moment? Because there's some that wouldn't have a clue who she is, but yet they know she's gotten all this recognition. Why is she such a standout? And why do you think she could add something potentially special to Indiana Jones? I think for me, the reason I love her, she's not what would you call like, you know, the kind of conventional beautiful if you want to do that this is how people like you know margot robbie or cameron diaz initially break out she is someone who is obviously she's beautiful as well but the talent that she has like writing making producing something like fleabag and having it become this cultural phenomenon doesn't happen let alone twice the fact she's done it with killing eve now as well to the fact she's been asked to you know co-write or help rewrite a bond film there's a lot of you know oh phoebe Waller-Bridge gets to join harrison ford and indiana jones I would argue that Harrison Ford needs this more than she does. She has the pick and choose of anything she wants right now. The, the world has opened up in front of her. And you could argue Harrison Ford hasn't made a good film since what, what lies beneath in 2000, if you take out Blade Runner there. So that's 21 years he hasn't made anything that you would say is good, whereas she is you know, on a hot streak at the moment. And if he comes to this every bit as lethargic as he has for you know, the last few roles, she will make an absolute show of him and steal this film completely by writing and by acting him off the screen as well and we mentioned james mangold again he's on a streak as well he'd ford versus ferrari he brought the the logan the wolverine series to a close in just spectacular fashion so it's it's ironic or sorry strange coming into an indiana jones film and harrison ford is the underdog with something to prove here if you want to make the the fight (laughs) comparison 
It is. It does seem really, really strange. But I'm also quite shocked that we're going to get this fifth film because like the fourth film, as I mentioned, they've had a, a real turgid time trying to find a story that was going to keep everyone happy. But it seems now that Spielberg has exited stage left. Lucasfilm is no longer under the control of Lucas. Disney have it. It just seems that maybe there were too many cooks involved and this fresh voice of James Mangold has given this a bit of breathing space. Olivia, are you shocked that we're seeing a fifth film? And, and what do you think of the fact now that Indiana Jones is under the stewardship of James Mangold? Well, for me, it's kind of funny how we were talking earlier about did we need a sequel to The Hitman's Bodyguard? And to me, I'm also kind of like, did we need a fifth Indiana Jones film? Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the first two. Third one, not so much. Fourth one, eh. Um, How dare you? Last Crusade <laughs> is the best one. <laughs> I knew we'd get there at some point that we'd start uh, butting heads. No, I personally, I like the first two. I'm not a big fan of the others. Um, so for me, I'm, I am surprised. But then again, I'm also not surprised because it is a Disney property now. So it, it, it should have been expected before now because they've now owned it for so long. I'm actually more surprised that they haven't already put one out that it's actually taken this long to come up with one. Um, I've every faith in Mangold to work his magic on it, um, but my expectations are still going to be very low, even with Phoebe being involved. like That's going to be the thing that's going to draw me in is what her involvement is actually going to entail. Mm. Um, but overall, like my attitude is, do we really need another Indiana Jones film? I think the only reason we need it is just to apologize for that fourth film. I just think it'd be awful just to end it on that incredibly sour note. Indiana Jones should finish. It, it, it should have ended as a trilogy. We saw Indian Co. essentially on those camels heading off into the sunset. It was the perfect way to finish it. And I think, unfortunately, they've managed to blight that franchise um, with that fourth film. And I think this fifth film is more like an apology. Um, just to move on. Uh, to all things Shazam, because just before we started recording, um, Andy and I were just chatting about Shazam, and I thought it was best part of five years since the last one came out, and Andy nicely corrected me to say, no, the, uh, the Shazam came out in 2019. So it hasn't been that far. And Eugene Levi, or Levy, I should say, uh, that, yeah, that's the father from Shit's Creek. What am I saying? Uh, Zachary Levi. Um, I, I was assuming he was going to be a bigger star off the back of Shazam. I don't know if the roles haven't come his way. I know he's hosted the MTV Movie Awards, but I was expecting more from him. And maybe the fact of all things COVID, it kind of curtailed things for him potentially, especially with Shazam too. But Andy, we're getting a sequel, but what do we know is happening in it? And also just your thoughts on Zachary Levi and his career trajectory at the moment. You've just completely ruined this film because now all I want is Eugene Levy playing a superhero because that just sounds like, <laughs> you know, take my money now for that. But yeah, I think he has suffered a lot from the kind of the the indecision with the DC movies. This was supposed to be Shazam, we'll roll into Shazam 2, then The Rock will have Black Adam, and then we'll have you know, Black Adam's traditionally Shazam's nemesis because everything being put back and because The Rock keeps making these terrible theme park movies he's kind of been left in limbo while you know the, the decision is made what way they're going to extend with the the dc universe there was the cameo at the end with superman we don't know if henry cavill's coming back so he's kind of you know a man without a country for the past few years but the cast of news coming out of this one seems to be that they're they're going full steam ahead with this we've got lucy Liu who's joining as one of the villains 
And for me, the kind of the, the standout for this is the main villain of the movie will be Helen Mirren, which is just a fantastic piece of casting. Seeing Helen Mirren just completely hammered up in a superhero film. We've seen what she can do in the, the Fast and the Furious movies. If she she does this kind of, let's say, B-movie, for want of a better term, she can ham it up with the best of them. So that's really what I'm excited about. And I agree. I think Zachary Levy has that kind of goofy charm that Chris Pratt had before he turned into a televangelist weirdo. I, I would like to see him be a bigger star. He seems like a genuinely decent guy and he does have that kind of goofy, muscly charisma that you know I possess as well. <laughs> well, it's not a wonderful image there to have in our heads of it. <laughs> um, Olivia, Black Adam, have you any interest in what The Rock is cooking up with this one? Because uh, he's, he said, is he like, he's, he's going to be shooting it fairly soon, if not already. It has started shooting. Um, it started over the weekend, and I am actually very excited. I know, I know, Andy is, you know, his his blood is boiling at just the mere mention of The Rock. But let's face it, he has created a massive career for himself, and I actually do think that he's probably going to do Black Adam justice. Yes, for his own standalone film, it's probably going to be very much hero based, or kind of have Black Adam a little bit up on a pedestal and things like that. But at the end of the day, we don't know how it's going to end. Maybe it's going to end with a, a heel, you know? Let's bring it back to wrestling. He might he might turn at the end, and then that's where we get this sort of villainistic-style rock, which Andy, I know, is just crying out for. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really excited. I'm also really excited that Pierce Brosnan is in it, because like after his turn in the Eurovision film, which was just absolutely gas, I think that him being in a superhero film is a great sort of like next step for him and I can just predict all of the Instagram photos and the behind the scenes videos that are going to be popping up that they're probably just going to have absolutely gas crack on the set and I really look forward to seeing that and being very jealous of not being there myself. I love Pierce Brosnan. I think there's a part of me feels that he's still very underrated. I just think there's some of this. He really is just a little national treasure. Mind you, once he's not singing in Black Adam, uh, that'll be uh, that'll be small mercy. Just finally, finally, Andy, Ghostbusters Afterlife. We finally got to see a clip which really opened up what we can expect more because the trailer kind of felt very much like it was going down the Stranger Things route. But the clip now that we have seen, which has been released featuring Paul Rudd and a few little uh, Stay Puff Marshmallow men, it kind of hints at there's going to be a bit more of a cheeky feel to this film. There's a bit more, more of a mischievous charm. Yeah, I absolutely love this. I thought the trailer was fantastic. And then the first kind of clip of this where, you know, you see Paul Rudd trying to, he's like, about to poke him in the stomach, like the kind of pop and fresh thing. And then the marshmallow man just flips out and bites him. And I, I just want one. I was absolutely starving watching it. They look absolutely delicious. I love that it has the music from the original one as well. It's just nostalgia with Paul Rudd as like a combination that is going to beat me all day long. The only thing I will say is the Marshmallow Man was in the original film kind of a, a manifestation of, of Dan Aykroyd and Ray Stan. So I'm curious to see what way it fits in. But yeah, 100% all in. This is my most anticipated movie of the year. It was my most anticipated movie of last year. And I'm hoping it's not going to be my most anticipated movie of next year if it gets delayed any further again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fingers crossed. Um, that won't happen. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife will, will eventually get to see it this year all going well. Guys, thank you so much for that. That is our roundup of this week's movie. Movie news. 
We love movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Now, if you've just joined us, Andy McCarroll is still with me, along with Olivia Fahey, content editor with Evoke.ie. Olivia, I want to talk now about all things, uh, what's available to us um, to stream. I know Promising Young Woman is out this week, and after picking up a whole host of BAFTAs, that's going to be one of it uh, to keep our eyes on. And we'll come back to that shortly. But I want to talk about what's new to Netflix. And they've got a very intriguing true crime documentary, which is released this week. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about it. So it's called Why Did You Kill Me? And basically, it's the latest true crime documentary to land on Netflix, whereas before they had like the Night Stalker and The Vanishing of the Cecil Hotel, they were docu-series. This is actually its own film so it's a little changed slightly but still has that essence that Netflix has been able to capitalize basically everyone loves a bit of true crime and they've literally been feeding it to us over the last 12 months quite consistently um with why did you kill me it's based on a true um true story um that a girl was um murdered in a shootout and her mother basically decides to take matters into her own hands when the case goes cold to try and find who killed her daughter. And she uses MySpace, which I know dates it slightly, um, in order to create all of these fake profiles to infiltrate um, these groups online to try and figure out who was actually the one holding the gun on the night that her daughter died. And it's a really interesting idea of... Like, where did she even come up with the idea was one of the things that I was thinking of. But she, yeah, basically she came up with this plan and she went for it. And I don't want to spoil anything, um, but she does end up discovering information that she brings to to the cops and her daughter's case is no longer cold. And it basically just sort of proves that like a mother's love is never ending, even when they're gone, even when they're gone. A mother will always, always fight for justice, fight for their child. And that's what really stands out in this. And I think a lot of people will be drawn to it for that aspect, but also for the mystery surrounding the death and also the the case itself. Do you know what we'll do? We'll take a clip from it and let people make up their own minds. But it is there and it's called Why Did You Kill Me? And it's on Netflix uh, this week. I was looking for a particularly violent gang. Gang members owe the price if they snitch. Everybody targeted us. We're family, that was it. Jamie's putting in messages. I was just making him like me, making him trust me before I start being like, hey, what kind of car do you drive? I'd drive past their houses and go take pictures of the vehicles, and I think we found them. Belinda was just kind of a psycho. This is gonna screw stuff up. Now you start threatening them. We did things that you can't even think of for those things we get nightmares so a little bit there from why did you kill me which is available now on netflix and just to switch over to you i mentioned just there at the top of what's worth streaming is promising young woman from emerald fennel she picked up two baftas there last sunday and you never know come the oscars how it'll fare as a matter of interest andy how do you think promising young woman is going to a promising young woman is going to fare I don't think it's going to win any of the major ones. I don't think it's going to win Best Picture, Best Director, or Best Actress. I'll be honest, I think it deserves all three. This was my film of the year. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And this, for me, is the film that has been hurt the most by seeing this would have received kind of huge word of mouth. I think this is something that people would have been talking about. It would have been a big public discussion in, you know, 
pop culture terms that I don't think any of the other films that are nominated would be. I think Nomadland and things like that would actually have suffered from being uh, in competition with this in the cinema because it's not a film. Like Nomadland will win, I think, but I don't think that's a kind of film where someone's going to walk out and say, oh my God, you have to see this. Whereas Promising Young Woman absolutely was. This is, I've been harping on this for like you know the best part of a year now since I've seen it. Finally, it's, it's going to come out. And I, I really hope it finds the audience it deserves. I'd love to see them take something home with the Oscars. I don't think it will. I just think there's too many award films that are in that now that are specifically for awards, but haven't had that cinema release. And I think this is a, a real shame because I think Promising Your Woman is one of the, the best films I've seen in a long time. And nothing would make me happier than seeing it get the recognition it deserves. I, I just don't think it will. And I think one of the nominations that I think should have been in as Bo Burnham for Best Supporting Actor. He hasn't been mentioned at all in any of that, but I think he is the kind of the the hidden gem in this film. He's really, really good in it. And I think he's someone who's, you know, building up a, a career for himself, kind of in the back. I think he is definitely one to be watching in the future as well. His film, Eighth Grade, is brilliant as a writer-director. He doesn't star in it now, but it is just fantastic. All about this young girl who's trying to navigate her way through high school and also trying to keep up this very confident image on social media, but she's far from it in real life. And there are scenes in that film which I will really resonate. And it's almost like if you took a John Hughes type of premise, but you added almost a Todd Salons type of feel to it. For anyone that's seen Todd Salons work will know who I'm talking about. There's a kind of a darkness to it. Ah, oh, eighth grade. Get on it. I, I, do you know what? For any parents that are listening who've got teenagers, I would... Yeah, you have to watch it. I think it's 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 well worth watch uh, because it'll really give you an insight into teens. But also, finally, finally, Andy, Unhinged with Russell Crowe. That's out. This just looks like complete... It's, it's, it's escapist fair, really. Yeah, 100%. It's one of those. It's like Russell Crowe was basically doing his version of Falling Down. I was very apprehensive going to see it. Russell Crowe looks in the worst shape I've ever seen him in. But I absolutely loved it. It's just this like nasty, uncompromising. It is very like falling down, but without the conscience. There's no redeeming features for this guy at all. He's an absolute psychopath. You can tell Russell Crowe is having the absolute time of his life just going around beating the bejesus out of everyone he comes in contact with. It's just fun. It's like those kind of old school 80s, 90s kind of Lee Marvin revenge flicks where it's just like, yeah, an hour and a half, switch our brain off. And you will absolutely love it. That's one I've seen in him in a long time. And you just forget how what an intimidating presence he can be as well on screen. So I hope he does kind of more stuff like that. It's it's something you would imagine like Mel Gibson doing about 20 years ago. So it, it's that type of film. It's definitely a kind of a throwback film. Oh, excellent stuff, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Andy McCarroll, always, our stalwart um, here as always, and our new recruit, Olivia Fahey, content editor and movie buff with Evoke.e. Guys, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. That's our lot for the first half of We Love Movies. But after the break, I'll be joined by Paddy Slattery, writer and director. He's going to be going through the career to date of Danny Boyle. We Love Movies. We're back in a few minutes. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Welcome back to part two of We Love Movies. And joining me once again is filmmaker Paddy Slattery. And you can see Paddy's debut film, Broken Law, which he wrote and directed. It's currently on Netflix. And each and every week, we've been looking at a filmmaker of note in our Director's Chair series. And this week, we're going to look at the career to date of Danny Boyle of Train Spotting, 28 Days Later fame. 
Paddy, the first film of note for Danny Boyle was Shallow Grave. Once that this started hitting the festival circuit, it was a debut film, but it's such a cracking premise yeah. to it. And it made people, I think it's fair to say, sit up and take notice of him. Um, well, the thing with Danny Boyle, it's funny because we had spoken previously about William Freakin, who was came in at uh, that particular time with New Hollywood and Independent Man. But then a, a, a generation or even half a generation later, you know, sort of post, post Tarantino, uh, Coen Brothers, uh, you know, there was this re-emergence of these brave uh, and bold uh, independent filmmakers. So, so Shallow Grave then sort of arrived at cinemas in, in the UK and um, people were like, oh, hold on there. Here, here's a new wave of, uh, of, uh, of, of courageous but artistic uh, independent films. And actually, I think Danny was jokingly said wasn't... Um, the, the original script of Shallow Grave, he, he felt it was almost plagiarizing. Uh, I think it was Blood Simple of, of Coen Brothers. But he was still attracted to it because, again, it was something outside of the norm because I, I think Danny at that point had put his t- uh, TV, uh, you know, TV film and TV drama. So opportunity for him to, I guess, express himself for the first time. So, yeah, Shallow Grave, I mean, I, I don't think it's a, a great film. It felt a little bit formulaic now. But at that time, it was like, it was fresh, you know what I mean? And it mm. definitely, it, I think it was the highest grossing independent film in Britain at the time. And like, you know, this industry, if you make money as a director, you have a career. If you don't make money, good luck. <laughs> so uh, Shallow Grave made money when it wasn't expected to make money and it was made for very little money. So yeah, it certainly launched his career. It did. And himself, John Hodge, the screenwriter and Andrew MacDonald, they were really seen as this new, exciting filmmaking yeah. unit. And yeah. the score for Shallow Grave by Left Field was brilliant. And then, yeah. of course, it introduced everyone to Ewan McGregor and, and Christopher Eccleston to a degree as well. It's interesting to know what you mentioned there about he, he cutting his teeth in TV, but he spent a bit of time in the, in the north, in the north of Ireland, uh, working for the BBC. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, he applied for that job in Northern Ireland at a time when a lot of British filmmakers didn't want to travel to Belfast because of, of course, the political landscape at that time. It was a dangerous place to live. Well, well, for, for the most part. But um, but so, yeah, he, he applied for a job and he looked around and realized that nobody else was applying for that job. So he basically walked into a job as a producer and then he hired himself as a director. <laughs> and that's what gave him he gave himself his own start as a director in the industry but uh, I think I mean I haven't seen his work pre-Shallow Grave but I think for any Inspector Morse fans I think they put uh, it's almost like uh, Steve Buscemi directed one of the greatest scenes or greatest episodes of The Sopranos well apparently Danny Boyle directed one of the best episodes of Inspector Morse so he was already on the radar Very, that's interesting. Well, the film now that would really just catapult his career in the early days was Train Spotting. Came out in 1996, and at one stage it was being heralded as like the new A Clockwork Orange. Again, it would see Danny Boyle reteam with his producer Andrew McDonald and screenwriter partner John Hodge. And Irvin Welch's novel at the time, it was, uh, it, it become like a real cult gem and it was highly regarded but a lot felt it was unfilmable but Boyle managed to crack it and initially I think he might have been a little bit hesitant to think can I do it but 
what an outstanding job he did. And it just was one of those lightning in a bottle moments with train spotting between the marketing, the music, the cast, everything just came together. Boyle, he just did such a superb piece of work with it. And it's interesting to think that at the time, his original choice for Boise was Christopher Eccleston because um, I was like, Boise begged me for God's sake, played by the great Robert Carlyle. Christopher Eccleston was originally lined up to play that role. And here's a useless bit of trivia for you, more useless trivia for you, Paddy. The character of Keith Allen, remember he shows up in the third act and he buys the heroin from the unlikely lads. Supposedly... There's this rumor that it's his character that's in Shallow Grave, that same character. And that is a dodgy batch of heroin. And he obviously shoots up and that's the dead body that we see in Shallow Grave. That was this little (laughs) mad little connection there. But for train spotting for you, Paddy, what are your early memories of it? Oh, oh my God, my first memory of it. And this is this is no lie. I was not long after having a car crash. I'm left in Dunleary Rehabilitation Hospital, paralyzed. I'm on my bed. And every now and again, we'd have a movie played on a, on a video or DVD in uh, in the in the hospital ward, and they played um, Train Spotting, and I was so bad I, I I couldn't even sit up in the bed because I was in all these casts and whatnot. But I could turn my head a little bit and look at the TV and see Train Spotting, and from the get go, you hear this music and you you see this character legging it down the streets and all that, and you're thinking. Holy shit, this is ferocious. Yeah. And and actually, I I adopted some of the spirit of Train Spotting in some of the chase scenes and, and the energy of our film Broken Law. I sort of I definitely leaned on on, on Train Spotting for that, just that charge, that supercharged energy in it. And so I loved it from the get-go, um, at a time where I couldn't even appreciate films. But I went back to the film then in later years and I realized. There's more to Danny Boyle than meets the eye. It was intelligently made. Mm. It was so brilliantly crafted. And I, I think if if, if um, Danny Boyle is a genius at anything, it's the, it's how he can mesh these complicated narrative twists and turns seamlessly together in a very cinematic and operatic way. Uh, how he uses music performance and all that kind of stuff and honestly when I when I think of Train Spotting and when I think of Danny Boyle in general I think he's probably one of the most underrated directors of the last generation and, and you know what maybe part of that is Paddy the fact that he never seems to follow up a huge uh, successful film with the obvious choice he always yeah. seems to subvert expectations it seems yes. off the back of Train Spotting I think he made A Life Less Ordinary which didn't do particularly well at all. You yeah. kind of, and then the same again with uh, Twenty Eight Days Later. You've got this massive, huge success, yeah. and you think, ah, oh, he's going to follow that up now with another absolute cracker. Yeah. And he goes, no, no, I'm going to try and do something that might even be deemed yeah, like yeah. a bit of a TV movie. Same thing with Slumdog Millionaire. I think when they found out he wanted to do 127 hours, it was like, are you having a laugh? What? No. Yeah. He, and he just never seems to follow the obvious choice. And there's a bravery in that. He's definitely not led by the dollar by any stretch of the imagination. What do you think of that when it comes to those choices? Looking at his filmography, do you think that's been the wisest? I do. As an artist, I think he followed his heart. And and it certainly wasn't money that motivated him. It's curiosity. He very uh, openly talks about 
his sort of career choice and, and the different genres that he'd taken on. What he says he loves is the he loves learning something new. And some of the some of the filmmakers he admired the most, Stanley Kubrick, uh, Coppola, for example, you know that you can never quite predict what they might do next. And I think he maybe took a string out with air balls. And but he, he also at heart, and he openly says this as well. Again, the great thing about YouTube, you can see hours and hours of interviews with these guys. And what I love the most about Danny is his enthusiasm and his childlike innocence. And he he openly talks about in his younger teen years, he was a punk at heart. And he, you know, that's the punk scene and that, you know, the Sex Pistols time. It was he was getting into drinking and maybe a little bit of drugs on the side and, and music. And he also said there was a local cinema theater that used to play these art house films. And he was mesmerized by them. I think that's the sort of trajectory that he had sort of followed. He wanted to do something a little bit different every time. And when you look at Trainspotting, for example, Sunshine, 127 Hours, Slumdog Millionaire, Steve Jobs, these films couldn't be any more different than each other, stylistically, tempo-wise, narratively, and I love it. That keeps me as an audience member on my toes because I don't know what he's doing next. I know he's got, I think he's penciled in for Methuselah, which is apparently going to be this big potential franchise uh, movie, but um, I can't wait to see what he does with it because he's Danny Boyle and you just never know. And he, in that respect, he is slight hit and miss. Do you ever find that maybe sometimes he might not hit the target with some of his work? Yeah, I definitely do. And like there's movies that just seem to come and go like A Life Less Ordinary, Trance. Yeah. But the thing is, but when he does hit it out of the park, my oh, God, yeah. like you're left yeah. with films like 28 Days Later, train spotting you oh know what God. I mean slumdog millionaire even like yesterday Danny Boyle Richard Curtis like that seems like the, the craziest pairing like that should never work <laughs> and I came away from the film and it has book it's a charm like it's like you, you, it'd be like you couldn't you, you couldn't knock it you know what I mean because everyone's heart is in the right place it's not the greatest of films by any means no it by no stretch of the imagination but it is really feel good and for Danny Boyle he wanted to make a musical he really really did and we also have to forget about the films that he hasn't had a chance to make because at one stage he was tapped to direct the the last outing for Daniel Craig himself and John Hodge John Hodge in particular yeah he had he was quite far into the writing process on that fifth entry and the the plug got pulled it's still up for debate as to the reason why there's there was rumors that Danny Boyle wanted to kill off Bond. There's other talk that it was going to be like <laughs> a, a, a prison movie. But then there was also rumors that that Boyle wanted to make it very current, really tap into some real world issues and that there were certain characters in the film that were very much thinly veiled yeah. interpretations of politicians of now. And I think. The producers, Barbara Broccoli and her half-brother, Michael G. Wilson, got a bit nervy and thought, you know what? I think we could be getting more heat than 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 that's necessary here. I think we'll just back away and we'll bring back the old scribes and get them to dust off a script that's been yeah. languishing there for a while. But he so I but the thing is, he's never been bitter about it, maybe because he signed an NDA, but um he also was tapped to direct the fourth alien movie, Alien Resurrection. And yeah. he said he was delighted that he turned it down because that was the big film 
that came calling for him after train spotting and he said no to it. And he said he just felt he saw what had happened to Fincher on Alien 3 and thought, no, I'm not going to go to Hollywood. And the same thing happened to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to chase it. So, yeah, there's been films that haven't really stood out, but there's other films where there's always the kind of the what if with Danny Boyle. And I know over the years, he's always asked about making a sequel to train spotting as your, as a matter of interest mm-hmm. for you, Paddy, like there's a part of me is glad that it exists, but I don't <laughs> think he cracked it. Like I hoped he would for you. What did you think of T2 train spotting? You know, uh, train spotting, you know, T2 can only ever be assigned to Terminator 2. I think it's blasphemous to call uh, any other film T2. But Trainspotting 2, for me, it came at a time in Hollywood. It needed something new. It needed something. But but there was an, there was a cry for something nostalgic, uh, politically, socially. And Trainspotting came at a time when it, it ticked all those nostalgia boxes. I mean, Trainspotting was, what, like 25 years old or whatever. I didn't particularly like the sequel. I thought it was quite formulaic, especially the end. Mm. Um but you know what? It was what it was. There was an appetite for it. It probably made money. And sometimes authoristic directors, they need a little bit of money in the bank in order to give them the license to go out and do another film that's closer to their heart. So for that reason, I can appreciate it. But no, it'll be very forgetful, um, or forgettable, I think, that film. Yeah. Can I just tell you really quickly? Yesterday, for example, I, I watched Yesterday yesterday for the very first time because i knew we'd be talking about danny boyle and i have to say uh gordon i i struggled to get through it it was so cheesy so romantic-y and so and it goes against everything i i I like about film Mm. however i have to appreciate it for what it is i think for people who love that genre I think it would be almost a masterpiece to them, if that makes sense. Oh, you're right about the cheesiness. Like it, it is a rom-com through and through. And I think that is probably a big problem with the film as well, is that you've got two filmmakers yeah. nearly battling with each other because Boyle, there's scenes in it where you can feel his fingerprints on it. But Richard Curtis, it's, yeah. it's, it's, like it's yeah. his project and he's a massive fan of the Beatles. And I yeah. think, unfortunately, it feels like for nearly, he, it's always like he'll always trump Boyle when it comes yeah. to the decision-making process on it. So it yeah. nearly feels like Danny Boyle, the director for hire on that movie, more so than anything else. But yeah. I am intrigued to see Paddy Pistol, which is this TV miniseries he's making. It's six episodes yeah. all about the Sex Pistols. And it brings us back to his old punk days. And, and yeah. the miniseries, it's based on the memoir of Steve Jones, the guitarist, in the Sex Pistols. It, they're up and running. They're already filming. And I think it looks like the perfect vehicle for Danny Boyle going back to television uh, for him. Yeah. So um, I, I, again, will probably see that later this year. Is there anything that you would like him to tackle that he hasn't already that you think, oh, I want to see what Danny Boyle would do with that? I, I just want him to continue being brave and doing films like Sunshine, for example, I think a lot of people overlook Sunshine. I think it's a brilliant uh, sci-fi film. And it, it's sort of, it's more than just w- what it says on the tin. It's much like most of Danny's films. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes. Even 
trance, for example, on the surface looks like a hoist that goes wrong. But actually, there's some moral and, and ethical questions asked in, in those films. So I'd like him to be get more personal with films because I like you said with yesterday, I didn't feel Danny Boyle presence in that film at all. And that's probably one of the reasons I didn't like it. However, with Steve Jobs, for example, although it's an Aaron Sorkin script, and, a, and an Aaron Sorkin script is an Aaron Sorkin movie, and it's very hard for a director to make their impression on it, even Fincher with a, The Social Network, for example. But but with with so, something like Steve Jobs, you can see you can see the fingerprints of Danny Boyle on it. So I want him to do a Danny Boyle film, if that makes sense. I am intrigued to see what he'd do next. I'd love him to go back to the horror genre, but I think if anyone is looking for another train spotting, you might find that with a TV miniseries for Pistol, which, as I say, he's currently shooting at the moment. Paddy Slattery, pleasure as always. And Paddy mentioned his film Broken Law, which definitely had scenes that were inspired by train spotting. And you can see Broken Law. It's currently on Netflix. Paddy Slattery, thank you so much. We'll chat to you again next week. My pleasure. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. And that's our lot for this week on We Love Movies. Thank you so much for your company. We'll do it all again from eight on Spin. From me, Gordon Hayden, and the rest of the team, enjoy your weekend.